everyday people that have money, but they do not have the time to look for properties, deal with tenants, anything. They just want to write checks and wire money and send it to other real estate investors and get paid a return. And I can tell you, it is the sweetest avenue of real estate investing. Like everyone talks about flipping and wholesaling and owning mobile home parks and doing this and doing that. I'm like, you know, what's really, you want to talk about true financial freedom. True financial freedom is writing a check and wiring money and having someone make payments to you every month and you do nothing. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have on April Crosley. April is the founder of Crosley Properties, which focuses on income generating properties throughout Berks County, Pennsylvania. April is also founder of the Lazy Girl REI, which is a site designated to help educate anyone interested in the intricacies of fix and flips, multifamily syndication, or really anything real estate. Even though April started off her investment journey as a young mother at the age of 16 and little financial education, she was able to retire from her healthcare career at the age of 35 through investing in real estate. April, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, before we get started, we like to start with the difficult questions. What's your favorite ice cream? <laughs> favorite? So many. Mint chocolate chip I'm craving right now. That's definitely one of my top favorites. <laughs> As we're recording this, I'm like 75 episodes in. There's only two people that have mentioned that. That is actually the answer I give because my really? father loved his ice cream. So, And he told me when I was a kid, he said, get mint chocolate chip because no one else likes it and they will <laughs> never ask you for a taste of it. Um, now, are you toppings or no toppings? Uh, not on mint chocolate chip, no toppings, just straight mint chocolate chip. It does the job. It's so good. It just does the job by itself. I would agree. On a hot uh, summer afternoon, it's yes. nice and refreshing and cool. I love it. Well, tell our listeners, what's your scoop? So I'm super passionate about helping newbies in real estate investing. My website's aprilcrosley.us. When I started, I had no money and no financial education. So I'm passionate about helping people grow wealth and letting them know, like, you don't necessarily have to have tons of money to end up a millionaire or growing wealth with real estate. Awesome. Awesome. Well, where did your real estate journey begin? Back in 2004, I picked up a book. I was actually in college for my master's degree to be the CEO of a hospital. And my husband had a book laying around about real estate. It was called The One Minute Millionaire. And I started reading that book and I was just fascinated like by what they were talking about and people owning real estate and other people were paying it off for them. Like tenants were paying it off their mortgage and then they were selling it and getting money from it. And I was like, that's insane. Like, why would someone pay off someone's mortgage? And then I was doing the same thing. I was running a house. <laughs> so I'm working out there running a house. And my husband's like, you're doing the exact same thing right now. And you have good credit. You should buy a house. So really just one book. And I'm telling you, I read that one book. And then I read another book. And then, you know, you just like fall down this rabbit hole. Next thing you know, I'm standing in front of my mom saying, I'm dropping out of my master's program. And my mom was like very accomplished in healthcare. So that's big deal to like, she was like my idol to like, tell her that. And I was like, I'm dropping out of my master's program. Cause I'm doing going to do real estate messing. And that was the first time in my life. She was like, you're crazy. Like, I hope you're going to be okay. The second time I thought she was going to pass out on me was when I was like 35. And I was like, I'm retiring from healthcare. Cause I'm doing real estate full time now. And she was like, 
don't give up your license. I'm like, I'm giving up my license. I don't want a safety net. So yeah, all started just by picking up a book and I had zero financial education or knowledge about real estate at all. I remember hearing that one time you were on the beach when you read that and that your husband yeah. was actually reading it. And you were reading it because you were just looking for something to I do. Was, was, was he into real estate or how did, why? Tell me a little bit about his story. Yeah. So he had two small rental properties in the inner city of the county that we live in. So they were probably worth like at the time, $30,000 a piece. Like that was probably the ARV on them was about 30,000 and he bought them on lines of credit. So he read rich dad, poor dad. So he didn't come from a family that was in real estate or anything either. He just kind of someone he ran into in life, gave him the book, rich dad, poor dad, and was like, read this book, which is pretty amazing because like now my husband just the other day gave that same book to someone else that he doesn't really know. He's like, I just met this kid and he seems really smart. And I, I just feel called to give him this book. And my husband just did the same thing like two weeks ago. So he read this rich dad, poor dad book, had a line of credit because he had a good credit and great job and bought these two small rental houses and was reading another book. And we're on vacation. I'm like, I'm like bored. I need to do something. I didn't bring a book. Yeah. So I started reading his book and I had no interest in this stuff. Like I'm my degrees in biology. I'm like science minded and I'm reading this and I'm like, what? Like, yeah. are, is this, are they lying in this book? Like, is this for real? Yeah. I was fascinated. It's funny how many stories begin with, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then the right? rest is everyone's, everyone says that to me. They're like, let me guess, you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I'm yeah. probably going to take so much hate for saying this. But like, subsequently, after I read a couple books, I tried to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I did not like it. So many yeah. people like it. And I'm like, I just didn't like it. I didn't like the way it was written. And like, every time I open my mouth about that, people are like, how could you not like that book? I'm like, I don't yeah. know. It just didn't yeah. drive with jive with the way my brain works or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're sitting there on the beach, you read this book, you dropped out of your master's program. Did you already invest in real estate before you dropped out? Or were you just, I'll drop out and this is what I'm going to do. I'm like, I'm dropping out of my master's program. I'm going to take a real estate class. So my husband from having like two small rentals and he was working on becoming like a licensed realtor because he thought like, hey, if I become a realtor, then I'll have more knowledge. He knew like the terminology and lingo. And so um, I remember going to like a free like three day free class with him, you know, where they upsell you to all these other expensive yep. programs. I remember going to that and think and of course they have me all hyped up and I'm like let's just pay the $900 for the next class. And he's, I'm like, I'll drop out of my master's program. So that's what we did. And then at the $900 class, I'm like, let's just pay for the $25,000 course. Like we'll max out our credit cards. And and that's exactly what we did. They had me all pumped up. Um, And we took a course, but I literally remember times sitting in classes. I don't think I've ever talked about this on a podcast before, but I was like almost crying because I was so frustrated because they'd be standing up at the front of the room talking and teaching. And I wouldn't really understand like 50% of what they were saying because I had zero, zero knowledge even of finances. Like, so it was so far above my head and my husband could keep up, but I was like in tears. I was like, I just don't understand. I'm not smart enough. I'm like sitting here with my degree in biology. I'm like one class away from my second degree in chemistry. And I'm like crying at a real estate conference. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know if you learned this way, but that's how I felt the first time I was trying to learn about crypto and like web 3.0 and things like that. And what yes. I noticed is just the more you listen to it, you start picking up on like, oh, that's what that term means. That's what that, uh, yes. that, uh, uh, 
abbreviation means and things like that. Acronyms, yes. that's the word. Yes. Um, so what was your first property? I think I remember hearing a pretty interesting story about that, but what was your first property then? So our first property was a flip. So a wholesaler in my area that I met at a conference, okay, and he just happened to be in my area, brought us a deal and was like, hey, I have this great deal. I have no money. Do you want to buy it? I'm like, yes, I want to buy it. So I took it to my husband was like, hey, this looks like it could be a really great deal. I want to buy it. My husband's like, we have no money to buy this. And I'm like, I know, but I want to buy it. So like, we had no money either. So my husband was like starting to work as a realtor. So he was getting around people that were like flipping and doing things. So he knew someone, he's like, there's this guy in my office. He flips houses. Let me just talk to him about it and see. So I'm like, yeah, talk to him, talk to him. So he talks to him and that guy's like, yeah, do you want a joint venture on it? Like, I'll bring the money, you bring the deal and we'll do the deal together. And we're like, he's like, you can learn from me. He was like, so nice. He's like, you can like follow my contractors, learn from them. We were like, this is great. So we split profit 50, 50 at the end of the deal was like messy. It was like a drug dealer slash addict who was like running from his drug dealer. So like after settlement, we go to the house and we show up and the driveway has like a chain across it with like cinder blocks okay, <laughs> and some scary guys. And our partner gets out of the car and I get out of the car and my husband gets out of the car and he's like, we own this house. And I just remember our partner saying, well, here's like the HUD. We just bought it. We actually own it now. What well, was here? This drug dealer, the guy that sold us the house owed him a debt. And he told us that he was using the money we were buying the house with to go to rehab, which who knows if he did that? I don't know. Yeah. But I just remember them telling me, get back in the car, get back in the car. Like they made me get back in the car because these guys were super scary. But we bought the house, we split the profit. And that's how I learned about private money because our partner was like, I'll bring the money. And we're like, cool. And it ended up not being his money at all. And we didn't know that through the whole thing till the end when the guy that lent the money on the deal was like, hey, I did the loan on this deal. If you do more deals, come to me. And I was like, okay. So then I was like, then my job solely became find more deals so that I can keep this guy's money working because he wasn't happy because the flipper we partnered with was using his money less and less and less. So that's what he told us. He's like, now he's been doing this a while. He has his own money. He's not keeping my money busy and I'm not happy about it. So if you find more deals, come direct to me because I want to lend to you and keep doing deals with you. And I was like, okay, well, I got to keep his money busier. He's not going to be happy with me either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, um, so you're the first person I, I, I've done a bunch of research and, and you, uh, I, I would label you the private money queen. Cause you have a fantastic <laughs> way of just describing all sorts of different creative ways to go out there and get money to do deals. Um, I want to have this conversation, just dig in here first. Let's start with a baseline. What is private money? Yeah. So it's not a bank and not like a mortgage broker. It's just people like you and me that have money. And I do private money lending and I've been doing it for several years now myself. So it's just people that have money. So like if I have, and they want to make a better interest rate on it. So if I have like 50 grand, I can put it in a bank account. It's going to make less than 0.25%. Like you can go to bankrate.com and see the interest <laughs> banks pay yep. is like so pathetic. Or I can lend it to a flipper at 10, 12, 15%, or I can put it in an apartment syndication and get like a seven to 9% cash on cash return. Um, so it's pe everyday people that have money, but they do not have the time to look for properties, deal with tenants, 
anything. They just want to write checks and wire money and send it to other real estate investors and get paid a return. And I can tell you, it is the sweetest avenue of real estate investing. Like everyone talks about flipping and wholesaling and owning mobile home parks and doing this and doing that. I'm like, you know, what's really, you want to talk about true financial freedom. True financial freedom is writing a check and wiring money and having someone make payments to you every month. And you do nothing. Like I don't switch over utilities. I don't talk to tenants. I do nothing. It's amazing. It excites me every time. I love it. Yeah. I, um, part of my real estate journey is I scaled to that 10 single family limit where all of a sudden you don't fall in the Fannie and Freddie box anymore. And I had to figure out which side of this equation do I want to be on? Do I want to go continue down the traditional finance and find, um, credit unions and regional banks or things like that? Or do I want to look into the private money? And now that I'm on the lender side of the private money, I definitely love that side a lot more because I'm not dealing with headaches of the tenants, uh, any kind of rehab issues, managing contractors and things like that. But when I think about private money, I really think about like from the borrower's perspective and the lender's perspective. So if we can, I want to take the borrower's perspective there. So if I'm a borrower, I've got this property you're hearing to, in today's market that people are buying everything in cash. Really, they're not. They're getting it from private money lender. But yeah. you mentioned terms of like 10, 12, 14 percent and things like that. Help us understand, like, why does that make sense for a borrower to get money at that expensive rate when bank notes out there are three and a half, four percent? Yeah. So it's honestly short term. It's best you short term. If you're talking in the sense of flipping or doing a burr strategy, you definitely want to use it short term. So I tell people the goal is to be in and out in six months. So the private money lender borrowers use it though, because in this market, especially is so competitive with people overpaying. Honestly, I don't know how people buy anything on market anymore. Like I, do, I don't get it. I've never purchased on market ever since 2004. And I never will. I just don't, it doesn't make sense to me. Like the prices mm-hmm. are just too high when you're buying off market though. Like, and I still have a flipping and wholesaling company, so I can speak to this. Like we're dealing with motivated sellers. And a lot of them, it is like, you're stepping into the Jerry Springer show to help them. Not all of them. Like some of them have inherited houses that their mom was like a hoarder or something. And they're very nice. But a lot of them, it's like straight up Jerry Springer, like drug addict goes a debt to a drug dealer. Like that is not uncommon in our in our field at all. So these sellers are motivated. When they call you, they want to sell like tomorrow or next week. And their house is typically not anything that will qualify for financing. So like if you try to get a loan on it and an appraisal, the appraiser is going to walk through and be like, um, yeah, you need to fix this, 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 and this before we're going to let the bank give you a loan. And then the mortgage company might be able to close in six to eight weeks. We're buying something now and we're closing in a week or sometimes less if we can really push it, depending on the county we're buying in, because we're buying quote unquote with cash. And you're right. It's someone else's cash, but it's cash that's being wired. So there's no inspections, no appraisals, no filling out mortgage paperwork, none of that, like super fast closing, super fast purchase, because if you can't, the seller's going to move on to someone else that doesn't, that can buy cash that doesn't have to wait six to eight weeks to get a mortgage. And honestly, these houses, like a lot of them are just not financeable at all. We're working on one now. That's like the guy was a hoarder. Okay. So you can't even walk in the kitchen. It's like a mound of beer bottles in the kitchen. Cause he was a hoarder. He was an alcoholic. The house was full of mold. And then shocker, the house caught on fire. So like three quarters of the house had a fire in it. And Anything that didn't burn or melt is like mounds of beer bottles. 
a bank is not going to lend on something like that. Yep. Yep. And I think the value really is closing quickly, right? So, I mean, you see, you see in a normal market, there's contingencies around bank appraisals and being able to get financing and things like that. When you can go to somebody that is distressed and needing to get rid of their house for one reason or another and say, I can, I can close on this thing in a week. You're in a different position than somebody else that comes in with a bank lender. Um, And I mean, my best deal I ever did was 80,000. I paid 10 points on hard money but we rehabbed it for 20,000. So I'm in it for, let's call it a hundred thousand. And then we yeah. burned out the money at 150. So I got paid $5,000 to own right. that house. So right. it doesn't matter what I paid in terms of an interest rate because I got the deal done and it, it's an infinite return because I have $0 in that property now. I am so glad you say that because I talked to someone the other day and they're like, I'm like, why are you using, stop using your own money? Because what happened is there was a commercial project we could purchase, but their money was tied up in their flips. I'm like, you have to use other people's money for flips. And they're like, but our accountant told us that we paid X amount of dollars in private money last year. And we could have saved all that and made that as profit. I'm like, your accountant doesn't understand. It doesn't matter. Like you're, it's the velocity of money. You're still making profit, but it's the velocity. You have to be able to keep your money moving and keep it turned over and keep buying bigger projects and getting more cash flow. And you can't do that if your own money is tied up in a flip project. So people ask me to say, well, you use your own money now, right? Because you're private lending. I'm like, I don't use any of my own money. All my projects are fully funded by private money lenders, flips, whatever. Could I use my own money? Yes. Will I know why? Because my money's out in syndications. My money's out to other flippers. My money does not sit still. It's constantly moving. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy you said the velocity of money because what I have learned more than anything through my investing journey is the velocity of capital is where people make money. It's okay if you only earn a percent on your money, but if you're flipping that percent every two weeks, then yeah. you are going to end up way better positioned than if you sit it into something that makes 8% a year kind of thing. Yes. I love this conversation. <laughs> now I want to look at it from the lender's perspective. So you've already given us the example of, hey, I've got you know $100,000 that's sitting in a bank account making 0.000002%. Um, and I can lend it out in, a, in an investment that makes 10, 12, whatever percent. Um, what are you seeing as other benefits from the lender side of lending into these types of deals? Yeah, I think just once they find a good borrower that they trust, not doing any work at all, or hardly any work, they're evaluating a deal before they do a loan on it. But the a lot of my private lenders are very successful, like they're physicians, or they own their own businesses, or they were real estate investors. And you talk to them about private money, and they're like, wait a minute, I could have been making this return in real estate without having to buy all these houses and own rentals. I'm like, yeah, I was just telling a friend at lunch today. I'm like, he's a physician. I'm like, and he's telling me about physician friends that want to get into real estate. I'm like, well, thank God you're educating them because I swear like twice a week, I talk to a physician that reaches out to me. That's like, my accountant told me I should buy rentals to get tax deductions. And I hate my life and I hate my rental properties. And I hate my property manager. Like what, why did my accountant tell me this? I'm like, not sure. Cause you could have invested in a syndication and you could have gotten the same tax deductions. So like, your accountant's making your life miserable because they're not educated enough about how to get you tax deductions. So for them, it's being able to make the return of real estate without investing in real estate. Not everyone loves real estate. Like for those of us that love real estate, we want to think like, 
Why wouldn't they just buy real estate themselves? Why wouldn't they just want to do it themselves? They don't love that. They love being a doctor. They love having their own accounting business. They love what they do, but they also know their money's not making any money in the bank. Like they're smart people that are doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was a couple of different instances that happened with my single portfolio, single family portfolio, where I was like, okay, I don't want to be on the other side of this. I'll keep these. I don't necessarily want to sell them off. Maybe we can chat about that because the market has just gone gangbusters in the past two years. Um, yeah. But that's really where I got on that side is, hey, I just want to write checks and knowing that that money is secured by real estate. So if the borrower yeah. defaults on me, ultimately, I'm going to buy a property that I already bought at 65 cents on the dollar. And I yeah. will have to figure out what to do with it. But the chances of doing that, if I find a good borrower, are very, very low. So yes. I guess my next question to you is, how have you found your borrowers to lend out to? Oh, so I honestly, like sometimes through coaching, I do a little bit of coaching. I started a meetup group in my area a while ago, like back in 2013. And I found a lot of good borrowers through my meetup group. So I can tell you my best borrowers are either contractors <laughs> or real estate agents that also do flipping on the side um, or like people that have been in real estate investing for a while and kind of do it as a full-time gig. Like they've been doing it long enough, but I really love the contractor realtor combo or someone's a contractor or is a realtor. I've just found they really know the market well, really know rehab costs well, um, have just been really diligent borrowers. So mostly through networking and just people I know, I definitely don't lend to just strangers. Like I have to like get to know someone and private money lending is very different than hard money lending or bank lending where it's very transactional and private money lending is very relationship based. Like, okay, I've gotten to know this person. They seem like they really have a good business. They have, they know their stuff. I think I'm going to tell them I'm a private lend money lender. And I talk about it on podcasts, but I don't like go to a real estate meetup and stand up and be like, I'm a private money lender. You're just going to get swamped by stranger yep. danger where people are like, can you lend me? Not really. I don't know you. Like I have to yep. get to know you, meet you in person, you know, stuff like that. So yeah. it's funny. I'm smiling ear to ear over here. Cause when you said realtor construction, like the most money I have out in the private money space is with a realtor who also owns a <laughs> development company. And his pitch to me was pretty good. And we we've known each other for a little bit. Um, but he's essentially like, Hey, I sell a bunch of houses in the area and I also develop. So I've got the construction crews. So if my money fails, then our, our, our borrowers fail essentially, yeah. then I've got the construction crew to plug them in. And I've got the real estate team to go sell it after, um, yeah after we've done rehab. Yeah. They have teams in place that even if stuff starts to go sideways, they can rein it back in like right yep. away. That's what I love about it. Do you, do you have criteria that you look for? Like somebody that's done X amount of flips or anything like that? I typically won't lend to newbies. Um, and if I do, I'm super weird about like how many deals they're doing and how many deals they're taking on. Sometimes newbies get real excited and they're real successful in the beginning, but they'll take on one or two flips. And then like, oh my gosh, I have a third and a fourth. And instead of wholesaling them off, they end up starting flipping like five at a time. And then they're falling behind on their loans and they're not updating. You don't know what's going on with the property. Like I hate when borrowers don't communicate. It's like nails down a chalkboard to me. Um, so I really don't lend to newbies. I really lend to people that like have experience and have systems in place. So I'll ask them like, how long have you been working with your contractor? Do you have a project manager? What kind of systems do you use in your business? 
just kind of like really vetting their business and then their personal financial situation. I just want to make sure they, they are paying their bills. So I'll usually do a credit check. Um, and I don't need them to have like outstanding, perfect credit, but I need to know they're paying their bills and not defaulting on any loans and a background check just to make sure like they're legit and on the up and up and making sure their LLC documents match their name. And they definitely own the LLC. Cause unfortunately, like I know a guy that like people basically lend to his girlfriend cause he's not allowed to conduct business. Cause he was in like federal prison and like the LLC docs are, it's his company, but in her name, stuff like that, you know? So, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I like the idea of systems project manager. And then I think we're getting in a really interesting time in the market right now, specifically on the residential side. So mm-hmm. I would all, I would love the idea of how many flips are you doing right now? And I'm not yeah. saying you can't go out there and do 10, but I don't know if I want my money involved in 10, because how much attention can you really yeah. give to all the details on 10 different projects at one time? Oh yeah. And like how much also do they have any liquidity? Like I'm all for, if it's a great deal, I'll loan purchase rehab closing if it's a great deal, I'll give it all to you. Like, it's fine, but I want you to have some liquidity. Like if you, and it depends on the project too. Like if it's a massive gut and rehab and this is your second flip, I'm probably not going to give the loan to you. Like there's a lot you have to look at and kind of balance out. I don't expect them to have like a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, but like if it goes sideways a little bit, are you going to be able to jump in and inject some of your own money into that project? Yeah. And I'm assuming up in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of 1800 builds, 1920 builds, things like that. And if it's your first time doing a flip and you're, you're going into properties that old, I'm not saying you can't do it. I mean, that's, there's a lot of money where there's problems, but at the end of the day, you don't know what you don't know at that point. Yeah. And I think like coming from the flipping space and we do a ton more wholesaling now, but now like being a private lender, like a newbie will come to me and like, I have this great farmhouse deal. And I'm like, nope not lending to a newbie on a farmhouse because I flipped the farmhouse naively when I was like newer. And I remember all the things I ran into and yeah. So, yeah. Um, one of the questions I've asked, got for you is how are you handling your paperwork and servicing right now? So this sounds great. Like if I'm a listener out there, I'm super interested. I get involved in real estate back lending money out backed by real estate, all this sorts of things. I'm excited, but the paperwork and the servicing is, is a little bit of a challenge sometimes. How are you handling that today? Yeah. So for me, I'm doing a lot more syndication investing right now than I am flip. I still loan on flips, but most of my flip loans are going to repeat borrowers that like, I don't, they actually do a lot for me and I don't have to do a lot for them. But the reason I switched to syndication investing was because I didn't want to have to keep like notarizing satisfaction pieces and checking on the note and mortgage and like all that stuff. If you're doing that in high volume, the private lenders that I know that do flip loans in high volume have an assistant. So a lot of them have an assistant and their assistants in charge of approving the deal package, making sure the paperwork gets where it needs to be, making sure the wire is sent out on time. They have someone that's doing all that for them. For me, Right now, I would say I'm doing a little bit of flip lending, but the majority of what I'm doing is long-term passive. Like my money's going out three, five, seven, 10 years. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I want to transition the conversation because um, you just got done RVing throughout the country. And we were talking about this beforehand. Uh, I'm just interested. How was your experience? Why did you decide to do it? Talk to us a little bit about that. 
It was awesome. I think everybody should do it. One, because it really shows you how much you work in your business. Like if you have to leave your home state where the majority of my small multifamily are, leave your home state and work from the other side of the country, you're really going to see where you should not, you're working in your business and not want it. So it's awesome. I highly recommend. We were snowbirding for like three years. So we'd go from Pennsylvania to Arizona in the winter and then come back. And then my son, who's now 26, he bought a house like a year or two ago and he moved out. And when my son moved out, he's our only son. My husband and I are looking at each other like, okay, now we're in this big house and nobody else is here. Like we're living by ourselves and we can work from wherever we want. Let's take the RV and go travel the country. So we sold our house, which is super interesting because now we can't find another one, but we sold our house. And just took off in our RV and started traveling the United States. And it was awesome. And it really like stirs your creative juices because one, you get to see how people live and like things they'll pay money for to stay in that they consider like a vacation. Like I still don't get the yurt thing. And then you have like tents people stay in. Like I'm like, I don't understand that, but people do. And they charge a a lot for it. And you get to see how real estate works differently in different States. Like there's so much more, especially coming from the Northeast, there's just way more flexibility in other areas with zoning and what you can do than there is in Pennsylvania. And it really just opens up your mind to different ways people live. So it was awesome. We stopped our RV journey after like a year and two months, I think, because we crashed our RV. No one was hurt. It was minor, but the RV was wrecked. (laughs) So we inadvertently had to stop it and ended up back in Pennsylvania, but we just did it to do it. And we met so many people on the road that were like 65, 70 years old that were like, we are so happy for you that you're doing this now because you can go hike. You can do all the adventurous stuff because you're not old and you don't have aches and pains. And they're like, everybody should do this. So many people wait till they're 65. I'm going to retire. I'm going to do that. And even the people that are doing it at 65 are like, we should have done this when we were in our forties, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Back-to-back recordings of folks that have RV'd throughout the country here, and <laughs> I'm getting the itch and the wanderlust. I am traveling out to Oregon in May timeframe. I'm not sure when this will launch, but I'm traveling out there in May timeframe, and I've rented a Sprinter van for a week just to see it nice. kind of how I like that. I'm getting the itch. What's the coolest place you went to when you were RVing? Oh, geez. Utah is like yeah. definitely my favorite. Like You have to go to all the national parks in Utah. I mean, hands down, it's just jaw dropping and, um, Glacier National Park is like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I used to go out of the country on vacation, like Mexico and the Dominican and Jamaica. And after the RV trip, I'm like, I, I do not feel the need to do that at all. Like the United States is so incredibly jaw dropping, beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't spent much time in the pack Northwest, but one of my favorite regions in the world is the Alps region. And I I remember coming back just thinking, I love this place, but there's so many cool places in America. I still haven't seen, and we have almost everything beaches, uh, tropical weather, uh, Alaska, uh, just everything here too. So so you mentioned your son, is he involved in your business at all today? What, what's, what's his background? What does he do? Yeah. So my son, uh, worked in construction for a while when he graduated high school, he was like, I don't really know what I want to do. And I'm like, then don't go to college. Like, I'm not going to push you to go to college. If you don't know, don't waste your money or my money, just figure out what you want to do. 
So he um, went into construction, worked in construction, then became a realtor. So that's still what he's doing to this day. He's a realtor. He actually, his house, he just um, bought a year and a half ago or two years ago. He's moving out of there and turning that into a rental because he's moving to another house. So he basically house hacked, fixed it up while he lived there, moving out, which is how we started buying rentals after we did our first flip. Um and now buying another house. So hopefully he'll buy more. He's actually doing his own marketing now and everything. Um, it's funny with kids. It doesn't, I don't, I don't necessarily want him to live the same life I did, but I think it really hit him when my husband and I left and went and traveled the United States for over a year. I mean, he came out and visited us twice and that's when it hit him. Like, how are you doing this? Like, this isn't normal. Like most parents are not doing this at your age. Like most of my friends' parents are like working, working, working. And I just remember him coming to visit and being like, I want to do this. Like, I want to have enough freedom. And you don't have that freedom when you're a realtor. He's like, I'm going to have enough freedom to just travel around the United States and just go and just see everything and do what I want. So that's really kind of like lit a fire underneath him. Yeah. Are you teaching? Did you teach him um, some of what you were doing in the business along the way, or did he just pick that up through osmosis? What did that look like? <laughs> so I actually haven't really, I mean, there were times that he would help me with marketing stuff. So he has a good like knack for some of the marketing because he'd help me stuff envelopes and he'd see my letters and things like that. But even when he bought his first house, I think because I do so much real estate and everyone knows him in real estate, he didn't even take me with him to look at his first house. Like didn't want me he was like under contract. They accepted his offer and he was like, I'm buying a house. And it was like 45 minutes away. I've never sold or anything. Like he was kind of just independent. I want to do this on my own. Now we have conversations just about like my systems and what I do and stuff like that. But prior to this, he was basically just like asserting his independence and learning on his own. Like he'd pick up stuff um, from hearing what we do. Like I'm very super proud of I grew up with no financial education. So like when he started first working, he was working when he was like 15 or 16 in a grocery store stocking shelves. So he would get his paycheck and I would tell him, now that you have your paycheck, you're going to pay yourself first. So take 10% and put it in a financial freedom account and set that money aside. And then you're going to take 5% and you're going to put it in a play account and you can do what you want with that, but then you're going to take 10% and give it to charity. And then you're going to take the rest and you're going to pay like your cell phone bill and whatever. Um, no one ever did that for me when I was younger. So then he had like a financial freedom account. So then he's like, well, now what do I do with this money? And my husband dabbles in stocks and stuff. And he didn't have enough for real estate. So my husband's like, well, you should open this and invest in this, this, and that. So they talk about that together. Like I had zero zero anything when I was his age. Um, so I feel like just from your kids are always watching. So even though they might not be like, oh, I love real estate investing, I want to do exactly what you do. They're always watching and learning from you, yeah. you know, and you have the opportunity to set them up for a way better life than what you had, you know? Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't have kids, but one of the strategies I've heard is when you have a child put, buy a house, a rental and put it in their name, put it on an 18 year note. And then basically when they're 18 say, Hey, here's this big asset. You can live in it. You can pay, sell it and go to college. You can do whatever you want with it. Um, but along the way, teaching them like, all right, now we got to go collect rent and this is how we hire a contractor and things like that. And yeah. so I'm always interested to hear like how 
people that are into this in, in this space and investing teach their children along the way, or do they um, they try to let their children find their own way around it? I try to let him find my own his own way, but if you talk to him, he'll be like, I remember being little and going to rental properties with you and painting and watching you like hang smoke detectors and blah blah blah. And it almost like turned him off. Like I don't want that life. Like I don't want to have to be like taking care of properties. Cause we did a lot of do it yourself stuff. Cause we had to, we didn't have a lot of money. So we were like DIYs. <laughs> yeah. Total DIY. So it kind of like jaded him a little, but then as he saw like what we got from it after hanging on to rental properties for years and years and years, like we sold off a whole bunch of our single families, took that money and just started passively investing like private lending to get more freedom. And then we're traveling the United States. Now he's like, okay, now I see in hindsight, all the work and what it led to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one thing my mom, she's not in the investing space or anything, but always tried to tell me as a child is like the decisions you make today have long-term consequences and you got to always think long-term and things like that. And it's something as I've grown older, I feel like I'm decent at um, better than average, but it's something as a child, I was absolutely terrible about. So I don't know yeah. how you go about teaching that, but I think certainly still at the age of 26, if he's seeing that he's still early on in his journey to be able to kind of maximize that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I always kind of like gave him opportunities. I didn't have like he, we went on a mission trip when hurricane Katrina happened and like, um, spent time down in Mississippi, like helping people down there. And he went to, he had an opportunity to go on a trip to Africa, to Kenya, um, with a family member. And I was like, go, like, I want you to go. And he went on that mission trip and he will tell anybody, like, he's the most grateful person in the entire world. And he's like, I'm grateful because like, I've seen like a mother sitting in the middle of a desert, like cradling her baby after she just walked miles and miles and miles to get a bucket of water, like for her family. And like, I've been where people's homes have been flattened and they're like drinking pool water for days living outside because they have no home down in Mississippi. He's like, I've seen those things. He's like, so what I have is abundant. Like I have so much, so many things and such a great life. And he never complains He never complains like he's so grateful for what he has. So I feel like sending your kids out so they can have experiences, you know, like go out into the world and see how other people live. People tend to like make a lot of money and then want to shelter their kids and they keep them in one place and their kids have no idea like how good they have it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes your children wiser with their money. He will never splurge and spend his money on silly things because he's grateful for what he has and thinks I could help so many people with this money instead of spending it on something silly. Yeah. I was very fortunate to have a mother that really enjoyed to travel. And my family traveled a lot when I was a kid. And one of the most humbling experiences I ever had was going to climb Kilimanjaro in Africa and really seeing like, there's no street lights, there's no guardrails, there's no paved roads and things like that. And what those little things mean. Um, And just because we're recording this on the internet and everything that's recorded on the internet could stay forever. I have this grand thought idea or whatever that instead of automatically just funding college, what we should do in America is have a gap year where you have to go work, do some sort of public service, whether it's a post office or military service or some kind of public service where we send you outside of your time zone 
to go live in a community outside of your uh, the a different part of the country. So at least you get to experience what the middle of nowhere Nebraska is like if you're oh, from yeah. New York City or downtown Manhattan if you're from Nebraska. Yeah. And we essentially, that's how we would create some sort of a subsidy for college if that's what you wanted to do or whatever. But I don't know all the details. I just think that's like a yeah. pretty good idea. I think so. that's an amazing idea. When my son turned 18, he graduated high school. He came to me and was like, my best friend and I want to... Uh, drive across the country. And I was like, okay, go. And he'll tell you, he's like, I thought you were going to like, give me so much pushback and be worried. I'm like, no, go drive across the country. Like, I want you to drive across the country with your friend. Like, I want you to be safe and I'll worry about you and check in with me, but go, you need to see how other people live and what life is like in other areas. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Well, this is awesome. I know we got off the real estate conversation, but I appreciate the, (laughs) the topic. Um, to bring us back here, I want to end this with our, our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Um, I love Atomic Habits. It's one yeah. of my just all-time favorites. I think it's a very easy read and something that someone can read quickly that like really kicks you into gear. Yeah. Yeah. His blog is pretty good too. A lot of his blog he writes is, is good too. Yeah. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the things you do every day and the habits that you have. What are some of the things that you do every day? Oh, every day. (laughs) Every day I write my gratefulness journal. Every day I work out. Every day I read my Bible. Um, And every day what constantly drives me is like, I wouldn't say so much worry, but the passion for like, how can I help other people? Like, how can I help as many people as I can before I leave this earth? Like I always have this feeling of like, I can do more. There's more I can do. There's more I can do to help more people. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a better judge of people is not their net worth, but like how many people show up to their funeral because they had an impact on their life. Our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? sitting and thinking before you respond to somebody. So I have really matured like in my business where um, like people would say something to me and I felt the need to like respond immediately and say something back. And I'm so far from that person now. So some, a good friend of mine once told me how you say something is not always how someone receives it. So just because I'm very brutally honest. So just because I'm very brutally honest, doesn't mean that someone's going to receive it as positive feedback and honesty. It might like hurt them the way that they receive it. So I've learned to pay attention to people's personalities more. So when someone says something to me, good, bad, doesn't matter in between neutral, I, there's a lot of pause before I feel the need to respond. It's definitely a skill because somebody hit me the wrong way today and I almost snapped back at them. But fortunately, yeah. I, uh, I deleted the email, deleted the text, took a step back and uh, yeah. I agree. Our fourth one is, what's the thing that you're most proud of in your life? And definitely how many lives have changed. Definitely. Like, I want to leave this earth and just have people be like, what did April do? She changed lives. Like nothing with real estate nothing. Like I just have private, even private lenders that are like, you've completely changed my life for my children. Like you're helping me grow my money so fast. Like my children are better off because of you. Like you've complete, when someone says that to me, I'm like, I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. Love it. Love it. Where our last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? And why? 
So alive, definitely. I think this might sound cheesy and you might get this answer a lot, but I would have a bowl of ice cream with Oprah Winfrey. Got it. Nope. First time on the show. I like it. I think she just very thoughtfully responds to things. And I think she's very wise and just has met so many people and has just built such a powerhouse empire that, yeah, she's definitely someone I would love to just chill out and have a bowl of ice cream with. Yeah. Since I'm in Nashville, fun fact, she actually uh, did a stint at the Nashville uh, TV studio here before she became Oprah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, April, fantastic conversation. I know we kind of went down a rabbit hole uh, on more of the intentional life stuff, but I really enjoyed the conversation. If our listeners wanted to reach out and learn more about you or connect with you, where's the best place we could point them to? Um, definitely YouTube. My YouTube channel is April Crosley, or they can find out more about me at aprilcrosley.us. Perfect. We'll leave those links in the show notes and uh, look forward to having you back on soon. Thank you so much. It was great. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.